Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Before we get into episode 54, this episode is in tribute and the memory of Kane Bentley. Kane was known to us all here in North Wales and he did wrestling training and he was a huge wrestling fan. So I thought it would only be fitting to remember the memory of him. He was such a bubbly, lovely, kind man. He was a father. My friends, Cal and Jen, are also godparents to his son. And I know they're really struggling at the moment and they find it hard. So it was for them to just to remember Kane. I met him many, many times. He used to work in a local shop down the road. He was so lovely with the customers. He was just a genuine, nice person. So this episode is in the memory of Kane Bentley, who passed away last week. Thoughts are with his family and his close friends and the wrestling community that knew him here in North Wales. You're listening to Stu's Wrestling Podcast. It's time for British Wrestling's Sharpshooter... Your host, Stu Palmer! We're back in New York this week. It's episode 54 of Stu's Wrestling Podcast. And my guest, who you'll get to hear in due course, is none other than Mr. Arby Klein. Arby runs the Wrestling With Anything But podcasts. He has Ray Lloyd on. He has Bill Demott. Paul Roma, Mike Drozzi and Dal Wilkes on every week. They've hit 1.3 million viewers within a couple of months. Just on Facebook Live alone, they're expanding into other avenues as well, which you'll see in due course into the future. There will be Patreon as well. Mr. Arby Klein also spins other plates. He is an American history teacher and he's going into university teaching with that. Teach 8th graders over in the US, but he is going into the other areas of teaching older kids as they plot their course in life. He is also a screenwriter, so you'll get to hear about that. The man is a magician. How he gets it all done, I do not know. And he is a mentor of mine, and I think the world of him, and he's been so supportive of Stu's Wrestling Podcast, as you'll hear within the interview. So, without further ado, episode 54 of Stu's Wrestling Podcast with the incomparable Mr. Arvi Klein. Enjoy. My guest today, all the way from New York... On Stu's Wrestling Podcast is none other than the Podfather and one of my mentors in podcasting, Mr. Arby Klein. How's it going, man? Oh, it's going great, and I appreciate the kind words, man. All of your podcasts are a joy to watch. 
thank you. That, that's that means a lot. That's up there. High praise indeed. High praise indeed. Right, Arvi. Normally, I go chronological and we go back to like, oh, when did you start watching wrestling? But I want to do it a bit different today. I want to talk about all the wrestling with anything but shows. And you've obviously hit a million plus views now recently in quite a short space of time. So yeah, just to tell the listeners and the viewers about the shows, man. Sure. I appreciate that. Uh, we have, wow, we have 10 live shows now. Uh, we started with seven, we started with six, and now we're up to 10. And we're expanding. Uh, we just actually signed another pro wrestler from the past. He'll be doing a weekly. And they're all weekly shows with the same co-host, but we have a lot of surprise guests. On Mondays, we have Ray Lloyd, known as Glacier. Uh, he's on at 12 noon Eastern time. We, on Tuesday, we have Bill DeMott, who is known as Hugh Morris. We're on with him Tuesdays at 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. On Wednesdays, we have a podcast called Maintaining the Truth with Paul Roma. That's Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern time. On Thursdays, we have uh, Hall of Famer Don Morocco on a podcast called Making Waves. That's every Thursday at 5 p.m. Eastern time. On Fridays, we have two shows. Uh, Ray Lloyd Glacier once more, Fridays, noon p.m. Eastern time. Uh, the nightcap at 6 p.m. Eastern time is Road to Recovery with Duke the Dumpster Mike Drosy. Uh, on Sunday, we have Unmasking the Truth with the Patriot Del Wilkes, who you've interviewed as well. Uh, that's every Sunday, 8 p.m. Eastern time. Saturdays, we have a show called The Green Room. Uh, Mickey Doyle, who's uh, been in the wrestling business for 40, 50 years, he hosts the show with a lot of the uh, uh, contemporaries and, and supporters of our channel that contribute a lot. Uh, my, my fellow uh, actor and, and friend Howard is on that show. And just a, a bunch of different guests. We've had Gerald Briscoe on. Uh, we have Ernest the Cat Miller on. But it, it, these are all shows. They're not one-offs. So it's pretty much you're following a series. And every show that people watch, you'll be able to watch it with the co-host I mentioned every week. But we're on every day. So it's a different show every day, different themes. And it's not just wrestling. Like that, that wasn't my objective from day one. So Obviously, for the most part, yeah, you touch upon the wrestling. But there's a myriad of topics, isn't there? You know, episode to episode, co-host to co-host. Yeah. Um, the way I looked at it was we're more than just our profession. Um, when, I was, when I was 18 years old, I wrestled, um, and I trained under Ted Petty, who was known to wrestling fans as Rocco Rock from Public Enemy. He wrestled in ECW, WCW with his partner, Johnny Grunge, and Rocco Rock was incredible. Uh, King Kong Bundy, Chris Pallies, he helped me out a lot as well, and I transitioned from bodybuilding. I didn't know anything about pro wrestling. They didn't know a thing about pro wrestling when I started uh, training. Uh, a guy named Dennis Carluzzo from NWA, New Jersey found me and pretty much, I mean, he like, he looked at me as someone that he wanted on his roster. I was a bodybuilder back then, believe it or not. Um, for those who saw my Facebook pictures, probably believe it. Uh, but then, then COVID happened. So, but, um, you know, I was bodybuilding. That was my goal. And then I got into pro wrestling and these guys taught me the tricks of the trade. They noticed I was humble and respectful. So, um, I wanted to pay it back. And that's why I started doing these podcasts. I mean, since then, I've done other stuff, but I wanted to pay it back to the gentleman who treated me like a gentleman when I was young, uh, that of the pro wrestlers, the older guys. So, How was it training? Because obviously, I've always talked about doing it. What was it like? What were your experience of wrestling training? We'll go, go into that, I think. And oh, how, how was that for you? Oh, um, it was different than bodybuilding, that's for sure. Um, I try to just listen. I saw a lot of younger guys. I'll tell you a quick story. Uh, there was another person who was a bodybuilder who I don't remember his name. might have been John or Jake. And the guy was about maybe 310 pounds with like 5% body fat, big guy. Uh, Rocco Rock was training him also in the ring, but the guy kept yapping. 
this guy kept talking. And we did a lot of spot shows, which means they weren't the major shows, but they were like town to town within the state of New Jersey. Uh, we did some local shows. And this kid, in a ride with Rocco Rock, myself, King Kong Bundy, a couple of other journey, it was like four or five people. And it was, it was like a big Jeep. And we were just, uh, this guy kept yapping. And I forget who was driving, but it wasn't Rocco, Rock, or Bundy. But they, uh, Rocco told the driver to stop, the, stop the, the vehicle at once. And he told this guy who was yapping, he said, hey, do me a favor. Um, I forgot. My book, my book is in the trunk. It's in the luggage. Can you go back and open the trunk? And the guy goes, sure. He opens up the trunk, and sure enough, Bundy and Rocco, like something out of a movie, simultaneously tell the driver, go, 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 go. <laughs> and they ditch this guy. And I'm like thinking to myself, all right. We still have another 40, 50 miles. They'll probably backtrack. They didn't backtrack. This guy had to hitchhike. They did that because he, he just, again, wasn't humble. He, he wasn't modest. And, and I think a lot of people don't understand the wrestling business or those who think they do. They don't really get the fact that if you're talking wrestling lingo, if you're being disrespectful, if you're being mouthy, the veterans don't care how talented you are. They're not going to look at you as someone they want to help. So I learned how to just... You know, I learned that from my father, but I was fortunate enough to stay humble because I saw a lot of kids with talent just literally go nowhere because of their mouths. So yeah, you really enjoyed your time. How, how, were, how were the spot shows? Good. There were a lot of veterans at the time. Uh, Valentine was down there. Um, there were just so many vets. And working with some of the veterans in the ring was cool, but that's another aspect of, uh, of etiquette that a lot of people don't know. You don't walk up to a veteran and say, here's what I want to do. You never do that. Um, I, I, nobody taught me that. That's the funny thing. And how about this? I didn't even know that wrestling was on the up and up until about maybe a week or two before my show, my first show. I'd watched wrestling as a kid. So of course, but I mean, I didn't know the psychology of it or anything or, but I've seen so many people again, walk up to a veteran and say, how about, you know, we do this during this uh, portion of the match and I'll slam you and I'll go off the ropes. And the veterans look at them half the time and like, yeah, sure kid. And then they just eat them up. They eat them up in the ring. Uh, because of their disrespect. You know, you don't walk up to a veteran telling them what you want to do. So, thankfully, I never had. I just would all I'd walk up. I'd, I'd just polite, politely introduce myself to everybody in the locker room and say, oh, sir, I'm working with you tonight. What would you like to do? And then you just follow their lead. Incredible, man. Incredible. Going back a bit, you were obviously a fan of pro wrestling prior to training and doing wrestling matches and stuff of that nature. Which guys did you enjoy watching on the TV? And even... When you've been to shows yourself, I'm assuming you uh, went to Madison Square Garden and places like that. Uh, without question, the greatest pro wrestler of all time, in my opinion, was Dink the Clown. <laughs> He's dead that you're deadly serious. Dink the Clown was the greatest. No, listen, hey, nothing against Tiger Jackson, but I mean, I was, yeah, I grew up. I didn't go to the garden much to watch wrestling. I was more into, I liked wrestling on TV. But if I needed to see, like, if I was watching live events, it was sports. Like, my dad, I'm big on sports, whether it was basketball. Never, to be honest, never, like, really an American football fan. Uh, my dad's not from here, so I was always a soccer fan. Uh, soccer and basketball were, like, my two sports. So I didn't really go to the Garden to watch, to watch pro wrestling, but there have been a lot of amazing cards in the Garden. That's cool. That's cool. What about events within the wrestling calendar? Just to extend off that, which, which ones did you enjoy watching? Um, prior to, prior to the pay-per-views, I just enjoyed watching the weeklies. Like in New York, we had so much, I mean, we had so many different options. Like there was a, uh, a, a smorgasbord, a buffet of different wrestling. You can watch AWA on ESPN. 
Uh, you could watch World Class Championship Wrestling by the Von Erichs. That would show up too, I believe. I can't remember which channel showed up. Uh, UWF, Mid-South, Bill Watts. We got that. Of course, WWF in the Northeast. But then we also got uh, on the Superstation, we got WCW, which was back then known as the NWA. So there were so many different like options to watch. And as a, as a kid, I ate it all up. I just watched everything as a kid. Any favorite matches, RV? Any, any standout matches? I know I'm sure there's like one heck of a list that you've got there, but yeah, maybe some standout matches, RV Klein's. Yeah, we do like Dink the Clowns. I'm trying to think of some Dink the Clown matches. Up <laughs> can't, can nothing comes to mind. Maybe, uh, maybe he'll let me know. Um, great matches. There were, I mean, uh, you know what? I, every time I, I don't know if the, the dog collar match, I remember Piper and uh, Valentine. I didn't watch it live. But uh, I had a friend who was, like, circulating a grainy VHS tape a few years later. And I remember just watching Valentine Piper. And they were in the WF at the time. So as a kid, to watch them do the dog collar match, which was so much more intense than anything you saw in the WWF. Like, these guys, I think, if I'm not mistaken, Piper or Valentine or both had permanent ear damage after that match. So It was brutal. I watched it years later, obviously. How about you? Stan's just stands up today doesn't it the brutality but telling telling a story in the same token well, what is, match what match did you look at and say hey this is really what got me into it i'd have to i'd have to say it'd be perfect perfect and brett summerslam 1991 uh, brett will still be my favorite you know to this day all the matches hold up Harvey. um i was obviously at wembley stadium for brett versus bulldog wow, wow. so any brett matches and yeah, just anything with Brett, uh, Brett, Brett and Perfect, the King of the Ring 93, but obviously sure. Brett's run, you know, he had Razor, Bam Bam and Perfect, didn't he, winning it. Just three that whole, different... That one night, I believe, right? Yeah. Yeah, just three different types of match and not just crediting Brett for that. It was the guys he was in there with as well. They all played their part, didn't they? So I always thought, yeah, and he had some really cool underrated gems too. I mean, he had some great matches with, uh, with Kurt Henning on the house show circuit years before. Yeah. Years I loved him with Jim as well, tagging, obviously, prior to his singles run. They, they yeah. still hold up to this day, man. They, they, had more, uh, they had more high hopes for Jim prior to, you know. Yeah. They, they Jim, I, think they, I think they paired him up with Jimmy Hart right away, if I'm not mistaken. He was good, man. He, you know, he, was the, he was the powerhouse, short, but he, was, he had the build, didn't he, behind him. And then Brett for the technical side. It was, it, no, know. I think when, when Nightheart came there, initially he was a singles. Right, okay. Yeah, and they were like, he came right from Mid-South. And Bill Watts likes his big guys. Bill Watts likes those, you know, burly big guys with a football background. And Jim Neidhart, um, they had much, I think they had plans for him before he got tagged up with Brett. But wow. Who knows? That's yeah. cool, man. That's cool. When did you, you don't watch it, you don't watch wrestling now, do you? I'm right in saying. What, no, what, I haven't what, watched the product in maybe 10, 15 years. So. What's, what's your reasons for that, Harvey? What, what's, what's not right with it in your mind? Um, almost, I guess it's almost like, um, maybe kind of like a food that you were a fan of and you just kind of got past it or, or music, a musical band or a song or a style of music. You just kind of, um, left behind you because you, you got older. I mean, not to say that there's anything wrong with uh, a certain age demographic watching wrestling. I have friends who are highly astute, highly intelligent, but also down earth people in their fifties and sixties who still get a kick out of it. Uh, my co-host Don Morocco, he watches wrestling, I believe, uh, still, I, I don't, it's not about. I just I, I lost interest in it, but there's not one singular reason why. If that makes any sense. That make, no, that makes sense, man. That's it. And you're spinning a lot of plates, man, in your life, aren't you? The things that you do. 
history teacher, I want to get come away from the rest and let's segue out of that. You're a history teacher, aren't you, by day? Uh, yes, sir. Um, teaching eighth grade U.S. history. Um, I've been doing that, oh gosh, for about seven and a half years. Um, it's not, it's not obvious. It's not for the paycheck. Uh, I know, I know you're overseas, so you may not know this, but teachers don't exactly get paid a lot of money in the U S so we don't do it for the money. Wow. Um, Yeah. But it's, uh, it's for the passion. Uh, there's something else I do to, to butter my bread, but teaching is great because especially that group, I mean, you look at kids, you know, I had a couple of kids like a couple of years ago, teach me slang. I never knew about, uh, just everything that you learn on the internet is like you learn it from kids. And how about this? I remember telling a kid a story about like a week ago about how, no, no, maybe about two weeks ago. I was telling him how um, I, I, I'm an old fashioned guy. If I'm riding the New York City subways, I tend to people watch, not to stare like a maniac, but you know, people watch, you observe. Uh, it doesn't happen anymore. People are glued on their cell phones. And one of my students a few years back, I saw him, uh, I was also teaching gym for a while. So I was telling him, uh, hey, why aren't you playing? And he goes, well, I'm talking to a friend. I go, no, you're not. You're on your cell phone. You're texting. He goes, well, yeah, I'm talking to him. So it's like, it's, it's, it's such a different world now than the world I grew up in, where it was almost a punishment to tell someone you can't go out and play. Now, now that's like a reward. Oh, really? I could just sit in the corner and text? So it's harder to discipline kids in school now, especially with the PC culture that we're living in right now. Absolutely. Man. Not to say that I was, not to say that I really, you know, did anything drastic, but even if you raise your voice as a teacher, you can get written up in a heartbeat. So it's modern, modern teaching, I think, on, on, on your part. And then, you know, oh, no, it's nice, man. How have you been teaching the kids by the internet through, through the lockdown and the, obviously the COVID times more recently? Uh, I'm transitioning uh, towards teaching university now. So that was a tough decision because they'll always have a special place in my heart. Uh, teaching middle school and high schoolers was great because you can actually see that they, they, they haven't reached that point where they're cynical yet. Um, and I think, I think once you start teaching college kids, there's, there's a certain sense of entitlement and cynicism about them. Uh, but teaching university is my next step. So I'm actually not going to be going back uh, to the eighth graders. But it was, it was great while it lasted. Is it for the challenge for the university teaching? Is that, is that why you've decided to do that? Uh, yeah, I, I just felt like I, I needed a change. And I think, to be honest, uh, I'm not interested in molding somebody's mind. I want their mind to be made up, but I also want them to be open and receptive. And in college, I think you reach a certain level of, of, of wisdom and intellect within, you know, with, again, while you're still obviously growing as an adult, you're not an adult yet, but you've reached a certain level of understanding where you can differentiate between the teacher being wrong and the teacher being right. I want students to challenge me. I want them to do their due diligence and go down that proverbial rabbit hole and say, hey, Mr. K, I don't agree with you. And you don't really get that in high school or middle school, nor should you. Uh, you're teaching from the syllabus, whereas college, you can have open discussions in university. So, Is that all, when, when will that be happening? Is that all up and running now or with what's going on? Yeah, is, is it uh, delayed? It's, it's, that's, that's the issue with COVID. Uh, I'm looking for February, March, but I don't know. I mean, we, we don't know. And again, right now there's a mixed message. Uh, our unions don't exactly represent us well. Um, that's another reason why I'm departing. It's because uh, I did a show about this with Paul Roma, and I might have also talked about this with – no, I did talk about this with Del Wilkes on Unmasking the Truth. Uh, our, our unions since COVID have not made us feel safeguarded as teachers. And our union reps should represent us to the best of their ability because that's their job. They get paid for that. 
but they haven't really done that. So I, that's another, we feel not when I say we, a lot of teachers I know feel betrayed by the system right now. What, what are the numbers like in New York at the moment? I've not seen much news. Obviously the levels were very high in comparison to other States. You see Kansas city. I know it's where it is on the map and stuff. Obviously they had fans in attendance for the American football, but New York, the levels were high. How, how is it now? Currently, um, yeah, I mean the numbers are dropping off; they're teetering off. Um, but I guess, I guess you almost feel as if maybe people have their guard down too quickly. But that depends on your opinion about the virus. Everyone has different opinions, but um, I tend to, I tend to think that people maybe have their guards down a little bit. Um, everyone has conspiracy theories, and I don't really subscribe to that. I've known people. Uh, I know you had Evan Ginsburg on. He's known a lot of people that have had, you know, contracted coronavirus and they've passed. And I haven't known anyone who's passed from it, but I've known people who have been physically fit, um, but have just, you know, been run down by the virus. Uh, my my co-host, Ray Lloyd, Glacier. Uh, of course, he's in, um, he's not in New York, but a uh, very physically fit guy, very healthy guy. Um, he, he was actually, uh, uh, if I'm not mistaken, diagnosed with coronavirus two weeks ago, two or three weeks ago. Uh, he missed one of our shows, and this goes to show you how how committed he is to these podcasts. He calls me up and he goes, "I'm run down, but you know I'll still do the podcast." I go, "No, like you got tested, and you know you officially have coronavirus along with your girlfriend. Like it's fine." He goes, "No, I'm home. I could still do it." I'm like, "Don't worry about it, man." Uh, Paul Roma, not with coronavirus, but Paul Roma had a heart attack. He had a widowmaker heart attack a week before we debuted our podcast, and he calls me up, and Paul Roma's calling me up. He just had a heart attack. And I'm hearing, and at the time, I didn't know that, that he had one, but he literally called me a day after, maybe a day, it was probably two days after. And I'm hearing all these like, you know, messages and these loudspeakers and you can hear nurses and doctors in the background. I'm like, Paul, what's going on? Are you okay? He goes, no, I just had a widowmaker. And they call it a widowmaker heart attack because people don't really come out of it. Like only wow. about 2% of people who get a widowmaker heart attack survive. And he's like, don't worry about it. I'm still in the ICU. But I can, I can still do the interview, our first show from the ICU. It's no problem. I'm like, it is a problem. You're going to rest up. And it took me like 90 minutes to convince him to delay our first show way back in July. So, A tough, tough man, aren't they? Uh, you know, all five, all five guys, man. Unbelievable. Six. Incredible. Incredible. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Right, I'm going to segue now into screenwriting. Now, I know you've talked about screenwriting, especially the episodes I've watched with the, with the guys. So, yeah, so tell us about your career in screenwriting. I really want to hear a bit more about that. I'm, I'm grateful for my career in screenwriting because if it wasn't, you wouldn't be seeing me wearing these blazers every day. Screenwriting is uh, it's what butters the bread, so to speak. So you'd probably see me with a T-shirt and jeans if it wasn't for screenwriting. Um, yeah, I started 14 and a half years ago. And for people that watched our shows, or still do, we have a musician named Howard, Howard Collado. He appears there. He opens up our shows with music. And I knew Howard years ago. And he's also a fellow uh, thespian and actor. And we did a lot of stage work together. But writing was always my passion, uh, filmmaking and writing. And when I left school, I had a major not just in education, also in communications. And I didn't enjoy my job at all when I was into broadcast journalism. I didn't enjoy it. I mean, I did broadcast journalism strictly for the paycheck because I thought I would enjoy it, but I didn't. It was so political. So I quit. Um, I made some money. I built a nest egg back then and I left. I left uh, my career in broadcast journalism and I said to myself, this is now the time where I can pursue film. Um, so I actually I had a literary agent who was a friend of mine who believed in my work. 
he started shopping my stuff around. And you can't just you can't just send your screenplays to studios unsolicited. You have to get an agent to do that. But even then, you have to get a credible agent because if you, there's so many like agents who are so shady and have bad reputations that if they represent you, the studios won't want you to represent you at all. They won't want you attached to them whatsoever. So you have to get a credible agent. So I knew this guy was squeaky clean. He had a good reputation. He started sending my screenplays out, and I made a mistake when I first started. Um, this was Dimension Films. Um, I had a meeting with them. This is way back in like 2004, 2005. And uh, they said to me, what's your objective? We love your screenplay. I said, I want to direct it. And they go, have you directed anything before? And at the time, I didn't. So I said, no. But I'm not going to just sell it. This is my baby. They gave me a look. They gave me a look that was like, well, who the hell are you? Who are you to tell us like, you know, that you're going to direct this script? I didn't know how the business worked. So I just thought, hey, I wrote this script. I might as well direct it. It didn't work out that way. So um, I kind of had to pay my dues the way you do in wrestling. Um, you have to start uh, d- directing and really wearing eight different hats when you're filmmaking. So I started doing a lot of independent films, and I started kind of making some noise. And once again, my literary agent went to bat for me and said, look, now that you know the game, you have to make a decision. Are you going to be a filmmaker? Or are you going to be a screenwriter? And I chose screenwriting. So uh, for 14 and a half years, I've been screenwriting. For the last seven years, it's been for two studios that people might know of if I bring them up. Um, and I'm thankful to do that, although it's got its challenges because when you work for a studio, they pick what, you, what they want you to write, essentially. They're going to give you the title of the film. They're going to give you the topic. You have to make it work. And they're, you know, they hire you out. They give you deadlines. If you don't like the topic, tough. You have to write the screenplay anyway. So uh, it's been a mixed bag of comedy and, and horror. Um, some have been produced. Some have not been produced. And a funny little story is one of the first screenplays I wrote for this studio, for this major studio, it was an international release. So it had distribution internationally. And I had to actually go overseas to learn the culture because as a writer, I had to include the lingo. It was in Greece. I had to actually include the lingo and the terminology that they use in Greece. I didn't know any of that, so I had to go to Greece. So it was an excuse to take a vacation also. So it had its perks, I guess. Who are the companies, Harvey? (laughs) Greece, I got to tell you, it's a great country, man. Uh, Who are the companies? Uh, I don't want to bring them up now. I don't. don't. And I'll tell you what, one of the companies has a... has a bad reputation due to the Weinstein situation. So you can... Oh, uh, right. Okay. It it, it's... Yeah. yeah. I thought I'd ask. You never know. Yeah. yeah that, I, I, respect, I respect your answer, man. I respect your answer. Absolutely. Didn't know the man. Didn't know him. I knew his brother, Bob. I didn't know Harvey. Right. Okay. Yeah. I watched uh, Sky News over here. Did like a big documentary. You know, they came away from uh, the anchor and all that. And it was on for like an hour. I sat and watched it, man, but no, not very nice. Not very nice at all. You know, some- but you know what, though? Can I tell you something? Not, not to, it's been happening. I mean, I'm glad that, of course, he was exposed, but it's been happening for years. It's almost like he was naive. Harvey Weinstein was almost naive to the situation. Like, he didn't know why people were bombarding him. He didn't know why people were, you know, coming out of, of like, I guess, just, you know, hey, this is something new. We're going to expose who he is. He almost seemed shocked by the revelation because his response initially was, it's been happening in Hollywood for years. I'm just one of many. And uh, it just, I, I guess it exposed the system. But for people that were naive as to how Hollywood works, I was shocked how many were. A lot of people were. It was an absolute powder keg, wasn't it? An absolute powder keg, the whole thing. But yeah, just, just feel for the victims. Horrible. Absolutely horrible. Right, I'm going to get into sport now. And you told me just yesterday you're an Aston Villa fan. 
Yeah. How did that? How did that come about? How did you start supporting them? I'm still holding on to that 1982-83 team that we had. Oh, I miss those days. Um, it's been painful a lot of times, as you know. You're a football fan too. Um, you always have high hopes, and we talked right before the podcast. Uh, coronavirus has affected sports to such a degree that how can we gauge how good a team really is if they're not with, with football? With with obviously in America we call it soccer, but with football. You know, the crowd dictates a lot. I mean, having home games without a crowd, without, I mean, just cheering you on, I don't know any other sport that is as crowd-driven as soccer is. I just don't. I, it, it's horrendous. I know uh, Brighton Brighton did a test event with Chelsea a couple of weeks ago, didn't they? Two and a half thousand. Even if they could get that amount of people in and they're not putting that noise, I, I, can't, I can't get with that noise, you know put in the background the audio noise it just feels tinny fake you name it how, how do you feel about it i can see it nodding there yeah i agree with you 100 it feels generic to me kind of generic it does i mean i i mean at the end of the day if i'm watching something on television and there's no audience interaction i almost feel like i'm watching a silent film and when it comes to sports i don't think i want to be watching a silent film i want to watch something that gets my blood running my heart pumping in relation to the 1982-83 team, who were some of the standout guys? Who were some of your favorites? It's too painful to talk about because um, a lot of I got to tell you right off the bat, uh, I went I went probably about five or six years without watching the team. Probably from '84 to '90, I didn't watch the team at all. But um, I I mean, look, at the end of the day, I gave up on. Um, you know, when you're growing up, especially in the Northeast. It's, I didn't know any other friend that watched soccer. So I remember the names, but I don't, I, they're kind of like foggy memories. And then I started getting back really into it again around 91, 92. But um, I, I got to tell you right off the bat, man, I, people think there's an influx of soccer here in the U.S. There isn't. There isn't. No, people no, think no. that there is. No. The demographic of people that watch soccer in the U.S. are still really, and I'm not just talking about the Northeast where I'm located. Across the board, there are more people. You know what's interesting, Stewie? There are more people playing soccer in the U.S. than those that watch soccer that's, in the U.S. That's quite the – yeah, they all – they seem to make out the media over there. Oh, it's the MLS. We've had Beckham. We've had, you know, uh, David Villa. David Beckham. And you know what? Even when he played for, uh, for England, I was more of like a Michael Owens fan. Oh, mate. He was um, – this is coming from an Evertonian. Saying that, his dad did yeah. play for Everton. <laughs> Terry Owen played for uh, Everton. But yeah, I agree. Natural finishing. Uh, he I mean, Beckham more- was great. Beckham had some of the greatest corner kicks I've ever seen. But do I consider him the greatest complete player in English history? Not even close. Michael Owen was deadly. Uh, you know, Almost cheering. got hurt, though. He always got injured. Oh, man. Yeah. That, absolutely. That goal, that goal against Argentina in the 1998 World Cup. Incredible. Incredible. Yeah, I mean, some of my favorite players in England, I guess, just talking about the 90s and early 2000s, Michael Owen, uh, uh, Andy Cole. Cole was really great. Cole I was brilliant, him. mate. He, he, we, were linked with, we were linked with him uh, in the back end of the, the 90s into the 2000s, but we didn't get him. Could have been rumor. Could have been rumor. Um, what about more modern times with Villa? Who, who, who you like him watching? Obviously, um, Jack Grealish. Yeah, I think I messaged you about who we might be getting. Did you read about that? I can't. I can't remember. You need to. You need to enlighten me on that one. There's. There's some free agents that might be coming down the pike, but it's again rumor and innuendo, like a lot of people state. Uh, I. I don't know. I don't have a lot of hopes. I'll be honest. They've let me. I just recently, 
I've been able to kind of emotionally detach myself because I'm the kind of fan where if I'm watching, and it's definitely a team that I'm rooting for, I get so involved, but it's not good for my health. So I tend, cause I'm, a, I'm always doing those speedy rundowns of my podcast anyway. So I got to bring my heart rate down a little bit sometimes and watching Austin Vila games doesn't exactly bring my heart rate down. So I, I think with Grealish, obviously committing to the five year contract, that's yeah. a big, that's a big one for you, man. That's a big one. Sure. I, there's yeah. a lot more, there's a lot more to come from him. We've, he's not even at the precipice yet. He's got a long, that's a good one considering United were looking, looking at him. Well, by the time this airs, people were already seeing the game. But um, on Monday, September 21st, we have a big game. That's our first game, obviously, um, which is six days from when we tape this interview uh, here in the U.S. So I'm looking forward to our first game. We'll see what happens. Obviously, right off the bat, we don't have an easy one. So, Who, who is it? I believe it's United. Oh, I don't know. You might be surprised. You might be surprised. They've not. They've not signed many. I know they've got Van den Beek no. from Ajax. I think no. you know, it's the Premier League. Sometimes you can just throw form out the window. I, I think but you've got a good chance against him. You know, I'm more. I'm more looking forward to soccer this season, um, just because watching American sports has become a bigger challenge for me right now. It's become so political. Um, it's hard to separate the politics from the game. Like I'm a big basketball fan. And it's just not, it's not as easy. And that doesn't mean that I agree or disagree. I don't talk, I don't talk about my political affiliations on air, but I just, I want to watch the sport. I want to tune some of that stuff out and it's becoming harder and harder to do that. Because as you know, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of social injustices, but also a lot of, um, a lot of people on the left and the right right now are, are just kind of like linking everything they can to entertainment. So you can't watch a film without a PSA, public service announcement. You can't watch a, uh, a, a sports game without feeling as if you're in history class. And it's not escapism for me anymore. American sports is not escapism. Who did you follow or who do you follow in terms of the NBA? I'm, so, I'm, got my words out. I'm assuming it's going to be the Knicks for the basketball Oh, man, uh, they did me so wrong for so many years. I got to tell you right off the bat, I'm lucky I still have this hair, which is my prized possession, because they, they made me rip so many. I mean, dude, I got to tell you right off the bat, watching the Knicks for years made me legitimately, I think when I was bodybuilding, I had to keep my weight up. But watching the Knicks, I mean, they made me lose about 20 pounds. I mean, this <laughs> team this team had so many opportunities to, uh, uh, you know, especially during the Patrick Ewing years. And you always felt they were right there, but never, never quite. So they disappointed me a lot of times. I was in um, Phoenix for WrestleMania 2010. And me and my dad went, and it was the Knicks, obviously, versus the Suns. And the Knicks were in, you can imagine where they were in terms of the standings and stuff of that oh. nature. Steve yeah. Nash, Steve Nash only had to play three, three quarters of the game. I feel, I feel so bad. That your first exposure to a live NBA game was a Knicks Suns game in 2010. I feel horrible. <laughs> my sympathies, my deepest sympathies to you. I'm sorry. I enjoyed seeing Stoudemire as well. That that was cool. Yeah, he, I think back there. then they had Sean Marion, Stoudemire. Um, Sean Marion might have left by then. I don't think he was still there. Barbosa, Leandro Barbosa. Yeah, that was a good team. Barbosa. Yeah, I remember. Nash Nash ran the game as you can imagine. But the problem was the guy kept coming up with a cooler with beers and we were in Wrestlemania mode and it, we were pie-eyed by the end of it. We couldn't yeah. see straight. We came back to the hotel to our friends. They were like, why are you so wasted? We just absolutely did 
we went into UK mode in the middle of Phoenix. I love it. I love it. You know what? WrestleMania. And before I talk about Mania for a second, I want to ask you, like, you know, just so you understand, like, how who would you have ever have thought that a South African who was raised in Canada would become a two-time consecutive NBA MVP? Steve Nash. I mean, incredible. It's mad. It's mad. But with Mania, the fans from Europe and overseas in general, they make WrestleMania what these super shows have been the last 10 years. It, honestly, I've never known. They, they can't put an exact figure out. They reckon 10, 15,000 people some years. But obviously, that's just them picking, approximating, you know. You meet so many people, and I've got some really close friends that came to the wedding. You just—it's—it's it's priceless for me those trips. I know you don't watch modern wrestling, but I'm glad. Did it make? Did it make the actual? I guess the show itself. Did it? Did it? Did it improve the event just because you were bonding with so many people around you? It, yeah, and not not just the UK. Obviously, the world fans, the Americans have always been great with this as well. Uh, especially down south, like when we went to New Orleans and Atlanta incredible oh. the hospitality Wait, now, new orleans they had a few of them they had one where taker's streak was broken i believe i was right? there for that one i didn't go in 2018 you could hear a pin drop i know you've obviously heard this it was Heyman outside the ring and they still say to this day Heyman was not aware what was going on in that match it was brock taker and vince oh right so he was legit yeah. he, he was legitimately shocked harvey that, I've heard a lot of I've heard a lot of pin drops because and you you probably would have too if you ever actually walked into my eighth grade history class. I've heard a lot of my students just sit there wondering when the forty five minutes is going to end, just like this, sitting like this, <laughs> talking and talking and talking. Uh, but no, mania mania was um, mania was always like um, a super show. But once they started doing stadium shows again, they only did about two I think in the eighties and early nineties. They did WrestleMania three in Pontiac. And they did one in the Hoosier Dome, WrestleMania 8. And they were supposed to do one uh, in WrestleMania 7 with Slaughter. You know, when Slaughter was like the... Uh, they were supposed to go to the LA Coliseum. But then they chose... Of all places, you, you plan your WrestleMania in the sports... Col- I mean, I'm sorry, in the... Uh, yeah, LA, LA Coliseum. It winds up being in the home of the LA Clippers. Who back then were a joke in the NBA. So talk about a downgrade. You go from like the biggest stadium in America... To where the Clippers play. So, I mean, it was, yeah. But that, Slaughter Hogan, 91, that, I believe. That Iraqi sympathizer thing. He was getting legitimate death threats, wasn't he? Yeah, he was getting, like, the death threats. And I think from what, and again, all this rumor stuff, but just some of the wrestlers that I worked with, it's great to get sources from them. From what they told me uh, later on, uh, not that I asked the question, but it would come out in conversation sometimes, uh, it, it was it was really kind of like a, a scapegoat situation. They used that. Vince used that as as a way to deflect the fact that he couldn't sell out this big stadium at all. He couldn't sell it out with Hogan Slaughter. I mean, Slaughter at the time was past his prime. So it was a good match. I, I've got to be fair. I I still think it was good the way it was done. But you know, Hogan Hogan was coming. Oh, not coming to the end, but obviously he'd had it a long time. He was at the top. And, yeah, and you know, I think that whole war gave Hogan another shot in the arm because he was starting to get booed until the Iraq war happened. And then, like, we need a patriot. And, of course, Hogan is Mr. Americana. So he kind of extended his run a little bit longer, I think. Going back to the Hoosier Dome, that's one of my fondest memories. I was, like, six years old. Maybe just actually it was prior to my sixth Thursday. Went around to my cousins. I think I watched it the following Monday. And it was Piper and Brett. 
uh, that that's when we were saying about matches earlier. I forgot to list that one. That's one of my favorites. Oh as well. yeah. So yeah, well Brett done. used the old. Uh, he had an opponent that he used to wrestle in Calgary called Leo Burke, and there was a finish they used in Calgary that he decided to use against Piper. You know, I believe where he kicks off the turnbuckles and does the. Uh, he pins him with his back. It was done in Calgary, and Brett saved it for a special match, and he, he utilized it with Piper. And the drama in that match. Talk about an underrated match. I mean, the the the, the heat, the drama, the timing. It's a face-versus-face face match, which back then wasn't as you know, prevalent. Um, but Piper, Piper, I thought, was able to shine so well with Brett, I mean, in that match. We all know how great Brett is. But if you look at Piper's, uh, again, the way he reacts, his reactions, you know, his, his, his guilt over you know, taking that, that ring bell and you know, deciding not to, in the last minute, deciding not to bash Brett over the head with it. I mean, uh, psychologically, it was a great match. Heenan on commentary as well. What the hell used the bell when he's got it over him? Uh, just monsoon, yeah, and, yeah. monsoon and Heenan all the way, Harvey. Even monsoon and Heenan, yeah. Were they your favorite commentating team? Without a doubt, mate. I know a lot of people say. I know there's guys who were growing up in the Attitude Era, especially in the UK. Oh, Jr. Jr. and Lawler were great, but Heenan and Monsoon all the way for me. I'm old. I'm old school that way with that. That's there's just yeah. no there's just no comparison for me. Not on the pay-per-views, Ventura and Monsoon are really good also. Give Ventura his, his, uh, you know, his due as well, absolutely. Shivani, I like Tony Shivani. I know he had the brief when he came over from NWA, WCW. I like you Shivani. Almost like, you almost felt like Ventura was giving the guy so much crap on air. <laughs> you know? Every time you listen to Shivani and Ventura. There so was the good. greatest line I ever heard was in WrestleMania 5. I believe it was WrestleMania. It might have been SummerSlam 89, one of those. It was in 89. It was during the Warrior Rick Root feud, and... um. I believe the line was, uh, you know, Warrior was outside and I think bashing Rick Root's head on the, uh, on, on the guardrail and Shivani's justifying it and saying, it's okay, it's outside the ring, so it's fine. And, and Ventura's response, oh, so I suppose you can shoot somebody as long as it's outside. <laughs> and I'm like, it was so far-fetched, it was such a reach. But yeah, I mean, he had, and of course his voice, and I mean, that, the commentating is such a lost art in professional wrestling. And Recently, uh, Tony Capone from NAWA, he actually signed me to be his play-by-play. Uh, wow. NAWA is a company, and we announced that last week on Paul Roma's show. I'm maintaining the truth, but NAWA, for those that don't know, it's NAWA. Look them up. They were around like from 89 all the way to like the mid-90s, and Tommy Dreamer started there. Uh, Public Enemy started there. Uh, Hercules Hernandez wrestled there after the WWF. Paul Roma wrestled there. Like a lot of really credible talents. You know, now they're coming back. Now they're trying to kind of, uh, you know, they got they they're coming back in such a hot and heavy way. I believe they're going to steamroll over the competition. They have a great budget. Uh, they're signing. You know, I believe they're. And I can't announce which network no, but they're going to no, be on TV. They're doing some really really cool stuff. So uh, NAWA, there's a lot of great indies out there right now. I know it's a statement used quite often these days. What what's old is new again. I think that you could. You could put that, you could attach that to that, absolutely. That'll be, that'll be interesting going forward. And yourself on commentary, I'm looking forward to that. Now you've uh, told me that, man. That'll be brilliant. Uh, no, I appreciate that. It's, uh, I'm not going to try to replicate anybody. Another thing I wanted to is with mission statements on my podcast, I tell people, you know, I have a story about, uh, I don't know if you're, a, if you're a basketball fan or not, but there was, a, there was an all-star named Mitch Richmond, and he played for the Golden State Warriors. He played for the LA Lakers. Uh, scored like 50,000 points. or No, what am I saying? Scored like maybe about 20,000 points in his career. Really good score. And Mitch Richmond, 
um, was trying to cut in front of like a bunch of people to buy a pizza in Santa Monica years ago. And people are just like, you know, their cell phones are out. They're taking pictures. They don't seem to mind that he's cutting in front of them. And I stopped him not because I'm, you know, better than anybody. It's quite the contrary. I feel like he's just like us. I said, hey, what are you doing? He goes, and then he had his agent or his little posse with him, his entourage. And they were like, that's Mitch Richmond. I go, I know who it is, but why are you cutting everybody to get a pizza? Like, what's the, what's the deal here? And he had this, he kind of puffed his chest out. And I puffed my chest out too. This was back in my bodybuilding days. But I, you know, I said, well, it does, I don't care who you are. You know, get back in line. You know, even if no one is complaining, I'm complaining. Get back in line and wait like everybody else. And I feel like they, they kind of felt like this might be like a PR disaster. So they did go back in line. And some people were booing me and some people were cheering me. But I, I, it's not about that. It's not about accolades or getting cheered. It's, it's more about our podcast. I told that story because I want people to understand we need to humanize celebrities. Let's stop celebrating celebrities. They Absolutely. put their shoes on one leg at a time like we do. They eat their brand flakes from, for breakfast the way we do. Uh, they may not wear these blazers like I do because they don't have them. But, I mean, they do everything. That, they, they're, they're regular people. They're like us. And that's what these podcasts are. Uh, we, try to not, we try to humanize them. You know, we try to let our, our, their fans understand that they can relate to you and you can relate to them. Uh, there is no, there is no class system. You know how many times I worked with a guy, I worked with a wrestler doing a podcast, but I'm not going to mention who it was. This particular individual thought he was better than everybody. This particular individual, um, just had this, you know, this highbrow mentality of thinking that he's above everyone. And I kind of, I stopped working with the guy. I'm like, I can't, I don't want to work with you, man. You're a jerk. And I had a lot of these guys, uh, contact me. If I told you some of the names were that want to do weekly shows with me, I've turned down a few just because of their, their, you know, they're, they're egocentric. Um, you know, you, you get in a conversation, you can learn a lot. And I knew some of these guys off the podcast anyway, and a lot of them are all about themselves. Mm-hmm. They're self-promoters. They talk down to their fans. And they're legends. A lot of them are Hall of Famers in the WWE, and I turn them down. I don't want to do weeklies with them. I'm only going to do weeklies with quality people. And the people on these podcasts, Stewie, are quality people. Like, like yourself. I mean, you're you're a podcaster, and I'm always telling people, I, don't, I refuse a lot of interviews just because I want to make sure that it's, it's done in a professional manner. Uh, I want to make sure the person interviewing me is classy. And, and that's why a lot of the people on my podcast have actually showed up on yours, like Del Wilkes and a Absolutely. bunch of others that will also, because you get the job done in a professional way, in a fun manner. You don't take any cheap shots, and that's why I think you're going to be doing great, and you are doing great already. You've got a sponsor, and you're doing amazing. I've got goosebumps there, man. I like, appreciate it. I worry. Uh, I'll, I'll be honest. Yeah, I'm very honest about... I panic go doing... Not, not with you as such, because we've spoken at length. But yeah, I, I worry how am I coming across. Uh, but oh, I do, coming across great. I do try to remain positive. Ne- negative thoughts in my life. Of, I'm trying to like, you know, be positive. And as you say, you know... Just let's, let's be, I don't know what the word is now. I'm losing myself. <laughs> but Every time uh, when I watch your podcast, there's this energy that you bring that's so organic Funky. and so, so natural and so real. And that's rare. And, you know, it's great that you're able to sit down there and make people feel as if they're having a great conversation. And that's what it's all about. And you bring that to the table. So, Just some of the guys, you know, some of the guys you've had on as well. Uh, Barry Horowitz, brilliant. Dwayne Gill, Dwayne Gill, we had we had fun. He was he's as crazy as me. <laughs> he brought the crazy Gill, side yeah. out. It's just if you'd have told me 20, 30 years ago, I'd be interviewing these guys. I just yeah. I would have said no chance. It's it's crazy. And 
sometimes the internet does work for you. I know it gets a lot of negative. And, and it's important to also just like not to sound like a broken record over here, but it's important to understand the, they're people like we are. Yeah. And I don't, I don't ever, um, you know, when I spit, and I, I guess it's easier for me to say because I knew some of these guys uh, before we started podcasting, but you know, I, I don't call them, you know, the Patriot. I don't call them Duke. I call them Mike. I call them Dell. I call them Paul. And they're, you know, we're the human beings. Uh, I, I got mad at a person I worked with who gave so much attitude to a fan that I remember telling him on the phone once, I said, just because the camera was on your face for 15 years and you were on television, on cable TV, doesn't make you a better person than anybody else. Get over yourself. And I hung up on him. And he couldn't believe that I hung up on him. And I'm like, well, believe it. He kept calling and texting. I said, man, get the point. I'm not going to answer the phone. And it's like there's this class system that makes people not understand that it's not weird to do that. Like what makes it weird that another human being hung up on another human being, but that human being was on television? That makes him better than me? I don't think so. God, just have some respect for yourself and respect for others. Yeah, and there's, there's just, not to say there's little of that, but – uh, a lot of people say, don't meet your heroes, but maybe, maybe uh, you know, luckily for me, I was never starstruck by anybody, but I've known friends who have been. And yeah, I mean, you're going to get, it's not just with wrestling, it's across the board. I did StarCast last year with Ray Lloyd. Uh, it was in Las Vegas. We did a live podcast in Las Vegas for StarCast. And I'd only worked with Ray for a couple of months. And he's the opposite of what I mentioned. This is like the most down to earth human being you can ever meet. Uh, he treats people with so much respect. He wears so many different hats. He's also a filmmaker and a wrestler. He does so much. And then you got guys like run him down really quickly, Paul Roma. You know, this is a guy who's so honest and so, you know, brutally honest with how he conveys himself. And he's all about respect. And he's just, you don't find people like these grown off of trees. You know, Mike Drosy, he's devoted his life. Duke the Dumpster, he's devoted his life. Another person I believe you interviewed, right? Mike Drosy. Incredible. Like, literally, what a guy. I, I know, I, I, I sound like a broken record. All of him. Like, I want to get Bill Demott on. You know, Paul Rome. Well, get- you know, and really quickly, Mike Josie, for those who are listening, this guy devoted his entire life to help people in recovery. Yeah. Uh, he has his own story and he puts it out there. And I've never, what, what a great human being that doesn't have, uh, doesn't subscribe to the pecking order of, of you know, the way, the way wrestlers or celebrities do. This guy's just, you know, down earth guy. Bill DeMott, his whole focus right now is on his daughter. Carrie Ann DeMott. Uh, and I want people to check out the Carrie Ann DeMott Foundation.com. I have a show with Bill later today, uh, my time, 5.30 p.m. my time today with Bill DeMott. It's called Face Value. Uh, it's a weekly show we do on Tuesdays with Bill. And, you know, again, this guy devotes his whole life, not just for his daughter, but for those who are going through similar situations that he and his family did. Um, so, he, you know, he emphasizes uh, how repeat DUI offenders are free and how, you know, again, he's just, he does a lot of speaking engagements, you know, you got guys like Don Morocco, who's one of the most down-to-earth human beings there is. Uh, we, our show is called Making Waves, and it's kind of a fun show where we can just, again, this guy doesn't size people up. He treats everybody equally. Dell Wilkes, who's such a gentleman. He's hard-hitting. You've interviewed him. He's hard-hitting. He has his beliefs, but he'll tell you how he feels, but he's so respectful. Uh, and I, I couldn't ask for – and we got a couple other people I haven't announced yet. They're going to be doing weeklies with us, but – um. I couldn't have asked for a better group of guys to work with because these guys, again, I, w- I would go to war with them if I had to. That, that's, that's how strong I feel about them. That's, that's incredible, man. So, like, going back to Dell and, and Mike, it's just like, literally, I, I'd always ask, is there anything I can't ask, you know, and I've messaged prior. No, open book. It's fine. You can ask anything. Uh, but just, just going back to respect, Harvey, I always, you know, check first before I say, you know, or say something that might offend. Yeah. 
you know, but they're all they're all honest and open, aren't they? Every single one of them, which is every refreshing. It's refreshing. It is. It's refreshing to hear. And, uh, and, and we're on Facebook Live, so that's uh, you know the ideas. And of course, we're going to be on other platforms soon. And you know, we're we're happy that we got 1.1 million views Incredible. in only two months because we're only on one platform. You can find us on Facebook Live and on my page, Avi Klein, or their pages as well. But uh, pretty soon, we're going to be obviously, and that was the idea. We're going to start and build that community that we have. Uh, and, and really soon, we're going to be on Instagram and Twitter and Patreon. Uh, Patreon's a paid subscription site, which will offer you know the fans and community a chance to actually get extra content uh, that they can't even imagine. We got some really special shows we've never done. But if they're not on Patreon, that's fine because they'll still get their free shows on Facebook every day. So you can best of both worlds. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. I'm going to ask you now, which guy's going to go back to wrestling? I know we've spoken about wrestling quite sure. a bit. Sure. Which guys do you feel didn't make make it to the level that they should have done in, in pro wrestling? When you were watching it, when you were really avid, avidly watching, and when you were performing in it too, and training in it? Dink the Clown. <laughs> we go back to Dink. <laughs> Going back to Dink the Clown, baby. Uh, yeah, there were, there were a few that, I mean, if I bring them up, I don't think people would know who they were because they didn't, like, attain that level of success. But, I mean, were there, you mean as far as guys who could have become superstars who were working for the big promotions? Maybe, yeah, and, like, high, higher up the card because, obviously, it's, it's the same. Now, I watch guys, and you think you should be higher up, but it's just there's so many guys within a roster. But, yeah, just guys that you felt could have been, you know, given the chance, they could have been amazing. You know, you know who had a lot of you know who had a lot of talent going for him. And again, I, I haven't I didn't watch wrestling during this time, but I, I saw snippets and I also saw um, uh, different video packages on YouTube. Uh, Mr. Kennedy, I always thought he was really good. I thought he could have been a super superstar. Like he really had it all. He was great in the ring. He was great on the mic. Uh, Mr. Kennedy, I know he also worked in TNA's Mr. Anderson. Absolutely. Um, yeah, he was he was really really good. Uh, but again, I think a lot of it is. And when you talk about the older guys, you know, who are working for the WF, the way they gauge success wasn't based on whether or not they won or lost. It was about a paycheck. And people were getting paid back then. It didn't matter if you were, you know, Hercules Hernandez. It didn't matter if you were Paul Roma. It didn't matter if you were. And again, of course, you know, if you were on Hulk Hogan's card, I called it, um, I called Don Morocco's show, I called it Trickle Down Hoganomics. If you wrestled on Hulk Hogan's card, you were getting paid a lot. So people wanted to. You know, there were A shows and B shows. If you were on Hogan's A show, you were getting paid a lot of money. But at the end of the day, I think the business was doing so well that across the board, Bret Hart mentioned when he started out in 1984 with the WWF and he was kind of an, like enhancement talent. I mean, he was pulling in like, it's documented. He was pulling in like fifteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 a week Crazy. in 1984. Absolutely. Incredible. In, in terms of inflation, what would that be today? Do you know what I mean? That's oh my God. Yeah, that's a sizable like, amount, as you say, even being that far down the card and enhancing people. There were guys who wanted, I guess, like, you know, there's plenty of guys. Bobby Heenan said, hey, there were plenty of guys that would have preferred to have been stars than make money. But for the most part, as long as guys were making a living doing this and they loved doing it, uh, they were pretty satisfied. I don't think a lot of them really cared about belts or being champions or, you know, Roddy Piper, right? I mean, other than the IC belt, he was never like a huge Jake Roberts never needed the belt on him. There were a lot of guys like that never were champs, but if you ask them, they have no regrets. They were, you know, they were high enough for the card and they superseded the belt, which is incredible. If you can supersede, there's not, there wasn't that onus on the belt. Was there RV for those That's guys? That's a great way of putting it. I like how you said that. They superseded the belt. That's such a great way of putting it. Yeah, you're right. hundred percent. 
Just go I mean, I think a lot of guys needed the belt as a prop to elevate them a little bit, but there were certain guys that just didn't need the belt. Jake Roberts didn't need the belt. Roddy Piper did not need the belt. Ted DiBiase didn't really need the belt. I mean, listen, this is a guy who oh, his gimmick was he created his own million-dollar belt. I can't win the belt. I'll create a million-dollar belt. Like, there were so many guys that, you know, Davey Boy Smith – uh, you know, the problem with Davey Boy is there was always injury. He never really had like a sustained run as a singles without an injury taking place first or something to put him out of commission or he was going through personal demons. But, you know, Davey Boy's another one. I mean, he, uh, he was a premier guy for years. You know, I say about being a big Bret Hart fan of you, but obviously Bulldog, because he was one of us over there doing it. it, especially as a kid, it was just incredible seeing the Union Jack and. Man, he, he did well. And even in WCW, when he went over to WCW for a time, I know he went twice. It was great. Yeah. He, was, he was flying the flag quite literally, wasn't he, for us over here? And he did he well. He was. He was. And, you know, um, there's, there's a show we did last week with Don, and I spoke about uh, Wigan. A lot of people don't know, but a lot of the hard-nosed wrestlers came from Wigan. Mm-hmm. And, of course, if you're a soccer fan or, you know, a football fan, you know, I don't want like, to call it soccer. It's football. It's the real football. Uh, but uh, I'll get in trouble with my American friends here, but it's the real football. Um, you know, Wigan has – people know them from their soccer team. But, man, with pro wrestling, there was a guy named Ted Bentley. He ran a place called the Snake Pit. Yeah. And the Snake Pit produced so many great – like Billy Robinson – the dynamite kid, Tom Billington, who started out as a boxer. He didn't want to become a wrestler. And, I mean, look at the dynamite kid. And, you know, a little tidbit here. This is kind of strange. Dynamite kid died the same day he was born. So he died on his birthday, which is kind of uh, kind of interesting. And he just passed, like, well, I think about a year or two ago. Um, and I know people have their stories about dynamite and what he did. But in terms of just revolutionizing the business with what he did, I mean, he was, like, 20 years ahead of his time. 20 years. So His nephews are... They've started out the last couple of years. His two nephews over here in the UK. Oh, um, really? All the, be- all the best to them, keeping the Billington name going. Hopefully, how are, get- how, how are they in terms of talent? Like, do you, you know, from what I've seen, really, the lads are raving about them. On the North Wales coast here, obviously, we've got a lot of lads yeah. wrestling. There's a lot of schools now. They've said they are absolutely brilliant. They know them personally. And, uh, you know, the sky's the limit for them if they keep grounded and... They've got a good. They've got a good chance of making it. I think. They look, they were look you? Good. Were you? Um, were you always rooting for the British wrestler? Like, for instance, if there was a British guy against Brett, like, were you rooting for Brett over Dine, over uh, Davy Boy or Davy Boy over Brett? I was in the stadium that night, and at six years old, I was. I wanted Brett, and I think there was a there was the, a divide within that eighty eighty two thousand people. You know, half the people were going for Bulldog, but there was. Brett was massive, wasn't he, in Europe? I mean, he was massive worldwide. He could go to India. But yeah, it was a split, I would say. And I know they talk about it now. There was definitely a divide in that stadium. Were you a William Regal guy? Absolutely. And you only have to listen to Brian Danielson, Daniel Bryan, and the younger guys that come through. He's, he deserves... Yeah, he deserves everything he's He started got. out as a, uh, as a street fighter, William, you know, William Regal, uh, Dar- Darren Matthews, right? He started out as a, uh, as a street fighter when he was 15, 16. He worked in that whole carnival system. And, you know, there was a lot of people don't know about World of Sport, but World of Sport had an amazing promotion in England, and it was round system. So, like, for instance, they would have rounds in pro wrestling, which is strange. But, um, and, and really, a lot of the great guys that you know, a lot of people don't know about. I implore to look them up. Ro- Rollable Rocco, absolutely. He just recently, you know, he, he did died mate. recently. Legend. Yeah, legend. I think about a month ago he passed away. But yeah, Rollable, he was definitely a legend. And then you had guys like, uh, you know, again, William Regal um, wasn't someone that 
started out as an entertainer. But if you asked him why he got into wrestling, his answer is, I wanted to make people laugh. I wanted to be a comedian. I wanted, and you started seeing that when he came over to the WWE um, after WCW. He started doing all those, like, you know, the GM character, which I guess showed his comedic side. And now he's the GM of NXT, I know. But he's such an underrated, well-rounded talent amongst fans. Not amongst the, the wrestlers, but amongst fans. I, I like how the Americans respect him and, and love him just as much as we do. That, that's, the, that's the cool, that's the satisfying thing for me as a fan of him. You know, he is, he deserves to be where he is. He deserves that role. He's worked, oh, yeah. damn, he's worked damn hard. You know, he had to carry the flag when obviously Bulldog was finishing her. We didn't have many, but there's a lot, there's a lot of UK European based guys over in the States doing very well now. And they, they laid, oh, yeah. Yeah. They laid now the carpet, it's... they laid the carpet, they rolled out the carpet for these guys going forward. So, and it's for all just, intents and purposes, he um, was also one of the nicest guys, or still is, in the business. I mean, a lot, no one has a bad word to say about Regal. Uh, another, another talent that was really, really just someone that uh, – there's a documentary about him about. It was filmed, I think, 10 years ago. People might find it online or they may not. But there's a documentary about the life and times of Chris Adams. I need and to watch that. He had his demons. But, man, this is the guy who, like, pretty much invented the superkick. I mean, it was like the superkick was his. And he was so big in the Von Erich territory in world class, which was, I mean, for people to say, oh, world class, no, they were huge. They were pulling in 60,000, 70,000 people in their Texas stadium shows uh, run by the Von Erichs, Kerry Von Erich's father. Um, of course, Fritz and all his sons, uh, with the exception of Kevin, passed away. But man, Chris Adams, another British wrestler who was so big in the mid to late 80s. And people remember him probably from WCW when he was doing some enhancement work. But I mean, he was... Uh, a tragic story. A tragic story how he passed. Finley, Dave Taylor, all guys, you know, they went over to WCW. Yeah, because obviously I was watching predominantly, I was watching WWF, WWE, RV. So it was just to see our guys do, doing well, you know, it was it's it's brilliant as a fan going back to that. But yeah, that's, yeah, man. that's it, man. Right, I've got one more question. I'm gonna, sure. I've been hopping from topic to topic with you. Just one. Just but, one more. <laughs> <laughs> favorite basketball players maybe your top three if you do have favorites of all time you mean i'm not dink the clown no <laughs> um dink the clown uh would probably have been my favorite basketball player to play with i would have loved to have just played with dink the clown uh but you mean as far as like all time right all time so, NBA player? yeah i know you like your, your your old old basketball as well as you know i know with the issues today with, with what's going on but yeah maybe yeah just Maybe I could play. Maybe I could put them by position. Like you know, if I could draft my first center, my power forward, um, the center that I would draft would be Bill Russell, because even though I've never, you know, a lot of people haven't seen him because there isn't a lot of footage. He played in the early late fifties and early sixties. There wasn't a lot of footage about him, but I'd pick Bill Russell because he was the ultimate winner. Um, and a lot of people talk about Will Chamberlain being the best center, but Will Chamberlain won only two rings. And you got to remember something: the goal of the game is to win. Bill Russell didn't have to score 30 points. He made his team better. And the way, I, the way you can gauge somebody's value is how good is their franchise, how good is their team once they retire. And the Celtics for a while stunk when Bill Russell retired. When Will Chamberlain left his teams, the team still played well. When Shaq left some of his teams, they still played well. Um, Bill Russell would be my starting center. If I had a backup, I'd probably pick Kareem. But Bill Russell would be my starting center. Uh, my starting power forward, I would have to go with Carl Malone over Tim Duncan. Uh, I love Tim Duncan. He's great. Uh, but with Carl Malone, his longevity. I mean, people forget this guy stayed 
in the league for 20 years, kept himself in great condition. Uh, and on top of that was like when he retired, he was still playing really good basketball. He was still like an all-star. Um, and, of course, let, let's not forget he's a former WCW professional wrestler as well. Yes. So there you go. I remember it well. Tried it. And he was uh, – and from all accounts, he was so excited to be there. Carl Malone loved being in that locker room. So he really respected uh, – uh, pro wrestling. My starting small forward, uh, I would put Larry Bird. I'd have to go with Larry Legend. Um, he could play so many positions, but here's a guy who wasn't blessed with a lot of athleticism. He was a tall guy, but he wasn't athletic, and he just was able to out-trick and outsmart certain people. And his work ethic, you hear stories about how he'd run all up and down the Boston Garden for hours before game time. So that's pretty cool. Um, I'd have to go for my shooting guard. I'd have to go with Jordan. I don't care if it's a popular pick or not. Uh, the, stu the statistics that I find that nobody brings up about Jordan are as such. When he was a champion six times, he only played in two game sevens. That means he wiped the floor with his competition. Uh, in the finals, there was never a team that took the Bulls to seven games in the NBA finals. They never took the Bulls to seven games. Uh, that's, I mean, the guy was the ultimate winner. He really was. And again, he didn't ask. He didn't ask like a lot of the guys like LeBron of today, hey, get me better players. Whatever he, they had, he made it work. I mean, look look at the players he had in his first three championships uh, in his first run. Stacey King, Scott Williams, Craig Hodges, uh, Will Perdue, uh, a 95-year-old Bill Cartwright. I mean, they had, like, nobody on their team, and he turned them into champions. And then in the second, that second three-peat, right? No offense, I like Luke Longley, but he wasn't a star. Bill Wennington wasn't a star. John Sally wasn't a star. Uh, Scottie Pippen credits Jordan for turning him into the player that he was. Scottie Pippen wasn't a star player until a couple of seasons, and he credits that to Michael Jordan pushing him. So, uh, And I know there's that documentary that came out, but, I mean, again, Michael Jordan will be my starting shooting guard. I'm sorry if I'm rambling. I'm an NBA. No, I don't get to no. talk NBA much. So, I, I, um, That's what I wanted. And my, uh, my starting point guard, uh, I would like to say John Stockton, but I'm not going to say John Stockton. He was my favorite point guard. Yeah. But I, would have to go, I would have to go with Magic Johnson as my starting point guard. That's cool, man. What do you think of modern NBA as, as a game, not all the stuff around it, the political side, just what are your views on NBA now in the modern form of the game? I never thought I'd see a player like Giannis um, come around the pike and play point guard. The guy's seven feet tall. I only thought that happened in video games where you can take like a guy who's seven feet tall and put him as a point guard. I mean, the guy brings up the ball. And I, I got to say, the European, the European inclusion in sports, whether it's wrestling, basketball, I just love seeing sports diversified. I love seeing athletes um, coming from different parts of the world and just doing so well. Uh, my, favorite, my favorite NBA player of all time, uh, other than John Stockton and Larry Bird, was Drazen Petrovic, great you know, Croatian Absolutely. player. And I think they paved the way for the Dirk Nowitzkis. They paved the way for some of the players we're seeing now, like Luka, Luka Doncic, who I, I love Luka Doncic. I lo He's probably my favorite player today. I love seeing Luka Doncic from Dallas. He's great. I was in, I was in on, I was on a mini-moon after the wedding last year. We went to Barcelona for a few days. I'm just strolling down the road. There was an NBA cafe. I was like, I've got to go in here. It was, it was incredible. But obviously the season was finished, which, which was a bit of a bummer, but they were... Showing old games from the season. Was there, ever, was there ever a time in your life where you were into basketball a little bit? or I loved it. Um, Channel 4 terrestrial TV before satellite took over. I know satellite was bigger in the States at that time than here. Not everyone had Sky TV, the big satellite provider we have today. So we had four channels, five channels when Channel 5 came in in 97. 
And Channel 4 used to have the NBA highlights every Saturday morning. And they'd have a few live games as well. So we saw, obviously, going back to Michael Jordan, we saw Michael Jordan at his peak. We got to see all that. And I was only young at the time, so it was great. Wow. It was just, I loved it. I thought it was probably my favorite time, mid to late 90s. I think we need that right now. I think we need, like, we need sports more than we ever did right now in 2020. Get the crowds back. Hopefully... Fingers crossed it doesn't need, spike out of control. We need to be able to kind of like tune out a little bit. I mean, you know, with social media and with the world turning into a, turning into a cesspool in front of our eyes, I think sports is a great distraction. And uh, I, I, like you said, I do hope we get to the point where uh, if, if there's a way health-wise to get everybody in those seats again, I'm all for it. That's it. I'm going to ask you one more question before closing out. Now, we spoke about Wales, where I'm from. And you have some good knowledge on Wales. Please talk to us about Wales. I want you to let our fan, your fans know you got great fans. Um, which poet, it starts, letter starts with D. Which poet did I guess came from Wales? We had to study him in school. But obviously, I was very, very happy when you said it. Dylan Thomas. Dylan Thomas. We, yes, learned, from we learned about him in school, obviously. So, yeah, I was like, wow, this is incredible. Where would you like to go in Wales, Harvey? Yeah. Uh, can I ask you a question? Are you in South Wales? North. North, North. Wales. Six- uh, what are your thoughts about South? I've had friends that have actually, like, uh, fellow teachers that have been to South Wales, and they speak really highly of it. Are, is that, do you ever go to South Wales? Or The problem, the big problem is in terms of transport getting down there, they want to put a train link in. They've been saying about this for years. Because you go into the middle of Wales, it's all hilly, you know, national parks and stuff sure. like that. So you have to come out the border coming down from North Wales and then come back in to get to Cardiff. It's about four hours, four and a half hours on the train from here. But if they get this rail link where they want to put it, it'll I'd love to go. I'd love to go down to Wales. My, you know, again, this is uh, I have a bucket list of places. Australia and Wales are on my bucket list. I'd love to go to both Australia and Wales. Uh, do you have a bucket list if you can travel anywhere that you haven't been? You've been to the States. I know you've been to the States. I, do you know where I want to go back to, which I really, really love? We were at WrestleMania in 2015, and I'd love to go back to San Francisco. The event was obviously at 49ers Stadium, which is San Jose. It's not actually San Francisco. So we were in San Jose for like five nights, but we booked, we went on the Amtrak, we went on the bullet train down to San Fran. So I'd definitely go back there. I, I absolutely, I loved it, the diversity of the city. And just, uh, it was just incredible. I've never seen anything like it. And you've been to New York City too, I believe, right? Twice. Uh, One with a college, with a college trip in 2003. See, we're not, we're not all bad. No, no, not at all. We're not all bad. You're you're the best thing about New York, man. I tell you. And I've got to put Evan, I've got to put Evan in there as well. Yeah, Evan's great. What's a guy, but yeah. You've had, I want people to know, I know you're not used to this, but I'm going to do this. Stewie John Palmer's got such a great uh, group of guests lined up and oh, people he's already interviewed. But every time you're on this, uh, this interview, I can tell you right now, officially, I've been interviewed for the first time now by Stewie officially. Every time you're sitting here, you're forgetting that it's an interview. It's a great conversation. And by watching, I wasn't surprised because by watching all of Stewie John Palmer's interviews, they're professional, they're fun, they're organic, they flow so well. Uh, I know people that would love to come back that you've interviewed that would love to come back again. Put me on that list as well. Absolutely. It's just been a blast. Avi, plug, plug all the shows again. I don't even mind if you do, when you do your little plug in the intro, when it's very, very fast. You sound like an auctioneer with a gavel. 
Oh, okay, I'll do the I'll do the intro, but before I do that, guys and gals, check out Stewie John Palmer. Um, and again, Stewie Stewie's wrestling podcast. Thank you. Yeah, it's on the shirt, right? Am I am I yeah. seeing that on the shirt? Socials on the back. We had these done earlier in the year. Oh, that's great. That's so, great. So, and your sponsor? You got to bring up who's the sponsor? Can you remind me? Powered Four TV, which have just rebranded. They were Turnbuckle TV. They're in the midst of transfer and everything. They've rebranded. Loads of great content, podcasts, UK-based promotions, old promotions from like the noughties, the nineties. Sure. I think they've got a whole host of podcasts on there. Uh, Chris, not Chris, Richard and John are absolutely fantastic. The support's been incredible. They, they found Guys me. And gals, been- watch Stewie John Palmer's wrestling podcast. It's a, it, you can't miss. It's going to be doing some big – I mean, 2020 and 2021 is this guy's year, uh, upcoming and right now. Uh, and guys and gals, you can catch us every Monday for Breaking the Ice with Glacier Reload, Industry Levy Klein, noon Eastern time. Every Tuesday, Face Value, Hugh Morris, Bill, and Monitor, Industry Levy Klein, Tuesday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Every Wednesday, Maintaining the Truth of Paul Roman, Industry Levy Klein, every Wednesday, 7 p.m. Eastern time. Every Thursday, it's WWE Hall of Famer down in Morocco, Industry Levy Klein, for making waves. 5 p.m. Eastern time, 11 a.m. Hawaiian time. Every Friday, it's a double dip. Part one of the dip, Breaking the Ice with Glacier Reload, Industry Levy Klein, 12 noon Eastern time. Part two of the double dip, the podcast with a purpose. Duke the Dumpster, Mike Joe, Senior, Industry Levy Klein, 6 p.m. Eastern time. Sunday, you can watch Unmasking the Truth of Patriot Del Wilkes, Industry Levy Klein, Sunday, 8 p.m. Eastern time. And you can watch the green room on saturday 1 p.m eastern time some more podcasts coming down the line and again if you like the podcast all you got to do is what share 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 <laughs> i don't think anybody else could deliver that in that very speedy manner and get everything in remember it all most importantly so absolutely thank you so much for coming on today Harvey klein what a thank man you. what a man you are you are a mentor to me, sir. I hope you know that. Uh, and, uh, thank you for everything. Thank you for all. You're, the you're amazing, and I, this is a great podcast. Thank you, thank you for coming on because I know you're so busy with everything. You spin Anytime. many plates, as I said earlier, and you do it well. So thank you, thank you. My guest today for Stu's Wrestling Podcast, the incomparable Mr. Harvey Klein, a mentor and a good good friend, all the way from New York. We're back in the USA again. We like flitting from the UK to the US. So thank you so much for coming on today, Harvey. Thank you, Stewie. It was an honor. Today's episode is brought to you in association with Powered 4 TV. So go and check them out for anything wrestling-related, old events, new events when we come out of COVID, podcasts, you name it. It's all there at Powered 4 TV. So find them across social media. And a big, big thank you to Richard and John for looking after me too. Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.